As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Coming up on this signing day edition of The Audible, Bruce talks to Texas A&M coach Jimbo Fisher. We recap the other events from signing day and talk about the bizarre Southern Miss attempt to hire Art Bryles. And you get treated to the sounds of construction from my kitchen. Coming up next. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel joined by Bruce Feldman. It is signing day, at least the second signing day of this cycle. And Bruce, you were able to talk about a coach who had a monster class in 2019. Yeah, Jimbo Fisher coming off his first full season. They had a nice season on the field and an even bigger season off it where they dominated in the state of Texas against their arch rival, the University of Texas. So interesting stuff going on, as you'll hear from Jimbo in a minute. Uh, We covered a bunch of stuff. Subjects and we covered him pretty fast because he talks incredibly fast. He is the hardest coach in America to transcribe. So fortunately, you don't have to do that. Listen to the interview, and then we're going to talk some more uh, about signing day events around the country. And now we're pleased to be joined by the head coach of the Texas A&M Aggies, Jimbo Fisher. Coach, thanks for joining us today. I got to start out by asking, your arch rival school, Texas, has had a good season on the field and a good year by all accounts recruiting, but you guys have dominated the state of Texas. According to 247, six of the top 13 kids in the state of Texas are going to be Aggies. Only two are Texas. How were you guys able to dominate the state the way you have this year? Well, I guess just evaluate, we evaluate the guys we have, went after them, and, and I think built the relationships with the players, the coaches, and the families. And you know, we have a great place to sell, and I think we have a great product here. Sell A and M, like I said, it's one of the reasons I came here. I don't think any school in America can touch you personally, academically, athletically, and then launching your career when you're done with that Aggie network as, as well as it is A and M. And I think you have a lot to sell. I think we have the SEC to sell that we're doing, but also I think our coaches did a tremendous job of building relationships with the coaches and with the players. And and we got the guys up here, and, and, and they see the direction in which we're going and, and the vision which we have for the program. He looks like you loaded up with some some really talented big people: Demarvin Leal, Ken, Kenyon Green, Derek Hunter. What stands out about those guys? What caught your eye? Well, I think first and foremost, we all have skill guys. And you got, but to let those skill guys play, you got to have the guys up front. 
the guys on the defensive line can stop skill guys from being effective because they can affect the quarterback in the back, and the guys on the offensive line give you the time. And I'm still a believer that the game is won in the trenches with their hands in the dirt and to allow the skill guys. But those guys all can affect the game with size, length, power, explosion, athleticism, and are just natural football players. They play at great pad level. And I think, you know, if Lord willing, they stay healthy, I mean, they're going to play this game a long time. I mean, you beat you beat your old uh, boss Nick Saban for Leal. What what was it about him? Though, why do you think he has a chance to to be a difference maker for you? Well, I mean, you're talking about his size. I mean, six four, two hundred ninety pounds. I mean, he's going to run four eight four nine. But it's not it's the efficiency of how he runs, the athleticism, the power, the ability to play low to high. Highly intelligent guy. Highly motivated guy, instinctive guy. Game makes sense to him. He, he can be an inside out. He can he can play so many different positions to create so many different mismatches. And for a guy that big that can play in space and be on the edge, it's he's really a remarkable guy. You had productive tight ends at FSU. You had a really stud tight end this past year. Mm-hmm. We've heard a lot about Baylor Cup. Is another kid who Texas was really interested in. Big kid. How do you see him fitting in right away for what you want to do offensively? I think Baylor Cup is. is, is I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna argue. I think we have two of the top tight ends in the country. I'm gonna say Jalen Wiedemeyer is the same way. We both guys. The Cup is six foot six. He's 245 pounds. I mean, he's going. He's going to run into four sixes, maybe high four fives. Can bend, run, power, athleticism. Uh, you remember in, in the state track meet, the junior ran 22-4 electronic and then turned on through the shot 52 feet. So tight end to me is the ultimate position of you have to be physical, it's like the you know, but then you have to be athletic in space, and he has great ball skills in, in that regard. But Jalen Wiedemeyer in that same regard is a 6'5", 240-pound guy that runs into four fives, has unbelievable ball skills. So both of those guys, to me, are, are really going to be great players. And, uh, you know, those are your mismatch guys. Everybody gets corners and wideouts, but those tight ends that can match, they're too big for the safeties and too fast for linebackers, man, they're hard to play. And you look at the NFL, that's, that's the position that's really making the big difference. Have you ever had a guy with cups, you know, range as well as the combination of range and athleticism? No. I mean, probably haven't to that, to that extent with the speed and athleticism. And like I say, I keep going back to it, Wiedemeyer's in the same, in, is in the same breath. They're both the same types of guys, and both of them are very good players. And uh, but we, but you know, Cup, their size and length and catch radius, along with the speed and the power, it, it's a very unique combination. How is the recruiting operation you guys have set up and the approach different from what it was when you guys were back at FSU? And not not a lot different. I mean, as far as, as you know, I'm I'm still going to be the GM and run everything, but I think you know you got to recruit two to two to I mean three classes at a time because you got to know what you, what each class does. We're like. Who are you going to go? What you going to do? Which class is deficient in certain positions to be able to take the next year, and and what you have to do? But I think our evaluation process, we try to really, really keep refining it. And I think the other thing is now with the transfer portal, you got to have like a free agent market. You got to keep a long, you got to keep a great awareness of the portals out there of transfers because and have and have the ability to contact those guys if they want to transfer with the fifth year transfers. The guys transferring now, I think that's the biggest thing, and that's basically turned into a free agent market that you have to be aware of. How much flexibility do you have roster-wise if somebody comes on the portal now, at, you know, after this signing period? We have some. We have some. You've been in the, the, Florida, obviously, great recruiting state, Texas, certainly. How are those, those two states differently from a recruiting perspective? Uh, they're not, because everybody in the world comes to them to, re- to recruit. <laughs> Every, I think every school in America hits Texas, and every school in America hits Florida. I mean, because there's just so such a large volume of players, and other states don't have it. So you know what everybody says. You know, you're in a state with a lot of players. You're also, but you're also in a state with with a lot of people recruiting those players. And you know, and the big thing is, are they are they native Texans and Florida Floridians? 
where they want to stay home or some guys want to go back. That's the one thing about when you're dealing with large, vast numbers of people. But at the same time, they're so highly recruited. You know, Texas, the, the coaching here is phenomenal. The resources, the value, I mean, everything, the tax base of what you have, the facilities in which these kids have, they get developed so well. And, and Florida does a great job. They just have large, vast numbers of players. And, and they're, they're both highly recruited. So you have to be from top to bottom. And the other thing is, it's a lot of players for you to evaluate because you don't want to miss any in your home state. So, you know, it, it is a job to get through them all. You know, I've heard from some coaches, they think Florida kids are a little more likely, they're more open to leaving, going out of state. Have you found that from your experience that they're more than maybe Texas kids are? Uh, I haven't been in Texas long, but like I said, we kept a lot. There's, some of the kids in Texas leave, but I, I don't see them going as far. That's, don't, they don't seem to go as far as the, Flor- the Florida kids do. And maybe because Texas may be more of a native state to where Florida is more of a transit state or people all move there from long, you know, have connections everywhere else. Possibly that could be true. I'll, I'll be, give me another year or two. I guess I could judge. I hate to judge it on one year sample, but, uh, you know, I hope, I, I, I'll know this. I just want the ones in Texas, the right ones to stay. I know that. <laughs> Expectations are obviously sky high there in College Station. You guys finish strong. You go nine and four in year one. What's it going to take to break through and, and overtake what Alabama's got going there now? I think one thing is, I mean, an urgency and at the same time patience. I mean, we have to be urgent and understand the things we have to do in a program standpoint to, to do this, to put the kids in position to be successful on the field, off the field, and behind the scenes as far as developing our kids, our player development. I think the understanding that you know you can play with anybody in America, which I think we found out last year that we could, but also I think a patience to make sure we build the foundation of everything we do to be substantial so that uh, we don't uh, become impatient and try to get a shortcut to where we go. we got to build a great foundation and, you know, two to three classes here to, to get the level that we need to be consistently. But we can do it right now, but we're going to have to we gotta keep developing the depth. How has having a national title ring helped you recruit in this first class, you think? Tremendously. I mean, I think there's only there – right now, I guess, come back, but for a while there's only four of us in the country that have one. Myself, Dabo, Urban, and Nick. And so, I mean, people say we want to get you there, but who have you really gotten them there? One, two, and doing, and doing is two different things. And to people, that does make a difference. And it and it's opened up some doors, but you still got to go recruit and do the things you got to do. But it does. And then the consistency of winning, you know, I've been able to be a part of it such for a long period of time has made a big difference. And they're very fortunate to be in good places with good coaches. One of your old QBs was in the news this week, DeAndre Francois, being dismissed. Let me ask you, with recruiting, how do you evaluate character, not just the football part of it, but just everything that goes into a QB? Well, I think that's where you have to research and dig behind the scenes and all the people that are associated with guys over a long period of time, and you have to be able to trust the information you get. Because understand something, we're in like a college. College coaches can only do so much, and you're limited on the road so much in, the, in, in finding your kids. And I think so your resources are the people that you depend on and the people who are giving you the You can only rely on the information you're given. You can research and do everything on you know, records and all that, but then you have to base off what people say, and then the people, you have to be able to trust what the, the information that people tell you. Is it harder to recruit now from the character standpoint because there's there's a lot of social media footprint out there, but is it harder because the rules are set up to, to make that part of the evaluation? No, I mean, I think it's always been part of that evaluation. I think more people know about it now, and it's exposed and we're less tolerant than we ever were in society on things, which I'm saying is wrong or right, but, you know, everything now is, is, is a major news story, but, you know, make, sometimes it makes it easier, but also you got to make sure you get the truth in the information. I think the whole key is just getting the facts of every kid and, and trying to do as much background as you possibly can in, in the research. You took a quarterback, Zach Calzada. He really kind of blew up at the Elite 11. People saw his arm there, but he was an under-the-radar kid because he wasn't very tall for a while and kind of a late bloomer. Um, where do you see him fitting in? Obviously, you had a great 
impact on Kellen Mond in his first year. Where do you see Zach? Well, I, I love Zach. I think Zach's sky's the limit because I think he is just now scratching the surface, and he's new. Like I say, he shot up size-wise. People didn't know, but arm, arm talent-wise, I, I think he throws as well as anybody in America. And he's a tough kid. And the good thing about guys like that sometimes that have been to all the quarterback coaches that have done all that stuff, I'm going to train him the way I want to train him so you don't have to untrain him. <laughs> and that's actually a good thing. And I, and I think he's one of the guys who took a team who had never been to playoffs in a long time. They were an underdog in every division. Took them, took a bunch, you know, not with a lot of other 1A signees. Took them to a state semifinals. You got, you got an old school type guy. And I'm going to, for lack of a better term, a Farvish type guy who just can pick the ball up, play, and put guys around him and can just make plays and make them win. And they understand they have confidence in him. And, you know, he has all the physical talents in the world. And it's really, as he's blossoming up now with his size potential, I, I think he has a tremendous future ahead of him. Your quarterback now, Kellen, he really seemed to have a breakout year. You got, I think, a, a deep receiving core coming back where do you think he can get to in terms of you know he was hyped coming out of high school but it seems like he's really kind of blossoming there what's next for him he is right now he's starting to hit it he's understanding the whys of the game and understanding why balls are thrown here the coverages the situation situational smart being time on the clock smart really managing the game and understanding when to turn it on when to turn it off and he can use, he's understanding now to you how to use his legs when to and when not to and it's fun watching him. I mean, he and now he, he just see a different confidence in him. I'm really anxious to see how he carries over in this year. I think he can be a tremendous player, one of the best guys in the country, in my opinion, because he's a dual threat guy. I mean, like I said, he counted for 30 some touchdowns last year. 30, I think he ran eight and two for 25 or 32, 33, whatever. I guess that's 33, or maybe it was 24. He threw four. I can't remember, but I mean, and, and learn. But the key, what I loved about him big moments in big games and understood how to play and he really started taking understanding those things and situational football when he and understand the flows and momentums of the game and I think you know he wants understand Kellen's a grinder he wants to know why and he grinds at the game very well and I think he's got a tremendous future ahead of him which is a harder proposition following a legend like Bobby Bowden or having to try to compete with Nick Saban in the same division it's hard competing with everybody's hard, you know. And we competed with, you know, we had to compete with Nick and the SEC and those guys. We won a national championship. We had to compete with everybody else. I mean, ball is ball. I mean, you just got to go coach and do what you do. And uh, you know, but everything's in this business. When you're at the top, all it's all tough. When you're getting to the top and you're trying to get to the top of the mountain, you're getting that that at one or two, that one or two percentile of doing it week in, week out. You know, that that becomes tough. But that's what you want, and it, it's never going to be any different. What do you think you need to see from this team in year two, you feel like, to get closer to your ultimate goal? Well, I think we've got to be consistent in what we do and believe in the details. I think we have to understand the details. Like I told our guys, why were the Patriots in the Super Bowl? They said, give me 10 rings. I said, no, because a guy lined up off sides on the other team. I mean, basically, when you get down to it, you don't see the Patriots doing those kind of things to win. The good teams, I think you have to be our precision of what we do and understanding why everything is so important and not having self-inflicted wounds and taking that out of the the equation and playing the opponent and not playing yourself and understanding the intangibles you have to play with, the intelligence and the situations and understand that football is such a situational game and appreciate every detail of everything you do and and then believe in what you're doing. It's I mean, easier said than done to kind of get that message across. It is, but you also it, it ain't, you don't you don't get the message across. You don't get it by talking. You get it by doing. What every thing you make them do in the program, being accountable for doing it right, and then it becomes a habit. Then everything becomes a habit. Yeah, I guess with the Patriots example being a fresh one in their head, it probably does resonate. Yep, it does. I mean, in everything it does. All right, Coach. We appreciate your time. Best of luck down the road. Thank you, Bruce. Thanks, Coach. Take care. All right, Bruce, interesting interview. At one point, you know, you mentioned his former Florida State quarterback, DeAndre Francois. 
and DeAndre got kicked off the team by Willie Taggart this past weekend over what sure sounds like a very troubling incident involving a woman who posted the audio on Instagram. And then Florida State was not able to land a quarterback in this class. They're down to just James Blackman, the uh, former starter of the year Francois got hurt, and a transfer from Louisville who may or may not be eligible. This after the bowl, the 36-year bowl streak came to an end. What is going on in Tallahassee? Well, I think it's a big rebuild. It's probably a bigger rebuild than I think most of us have thought. Now, full disclosure, I mean, we remember Jimbo for piling up a lot of double-digit women seasons, but his last year there, they barely made it to a bowl. And, you know, one of the things that I think our, uh, our colleague Sean Reed covered in a story he did a few days ago was that class that DeAndre Francois was a part of in 2015, it was actually ranked number three in the country. And it was a pretty uh, disappointing group. Francois obviously had off-field issues. DeAndre Johnson was a quarterback who got booted out of there almost right from the start after his uh, violence, violent incident with a woman in a, in a bar. There was several other players who just didn't pan out for one reason or another. It was basically Derwin James and a few other pretty good players and not much else to show for it now. And again, now quarterback gets all the attention. I suspect uh, Willie Taggart is going to go heavy into the grad transfer quarterback business to try to find somebody to bring in just because your numbers are down. I mean, James Blackman, they think is talented, but it's hard just to ride, you know, ride on one scholarship quarterback, especially when your offensive line was as bad as theirs was last year. Yeah. If you're a college football player out there sitting around right now, wondering whether or not to enter the transfer portal, I'd be maybe paying a little bit of attention to these signing day press conferences around the country. Cause you're going to find out real quick where there may be holes. And um, Nick Saban flat out said on signing day, that they only signed one tight end and they're going to be on the market for a veteran tight end. So if you see a whole bunch of tight ends enter the transfer portal tomorrow, that may be why. Yeah, and um, it's funny. You mentioned the Saban thing. A few years ago, Garrett Dieter, who was a really productive receiver at Bowling Green, ended up transferring there. I want to say he had like 90 catches at Bowling Green and then the next year had like 12 at Alabama. But obviously he was on really good teams, a really good team. Got He told me he got a lot better just day-to-day of practicing. And he's... He was in the NFL with Pat Mahomes now with the Kansas City Chiefs, so it worked out for him. I imagine the chance to probably play for a national title game would probably be pretty appealing for a bunch of tight ends or depending on whatever situation you're in. I think there's a lot of opportunity for a grad transfer to look in because you, you tend to hear about the story that goes really well. Not everybody's bringing up like Malik Zaire or, or you know the ones that kind of fall flat. What else stood out to you on signing day? Obviously... This is not signing day like the old days. Most of these classes were locked up in December, but there were still some movement. There were still some notable kids decommitting or flipping at the 11th hour, including a five-star receiver who had been committed to Auburn for two years, who ends up signing with UGA. 247 still has Alabama finishing as the number one class, but rivals, uh, in large part because of that signing, Georgia ended up number one uh, in this now budding rivalry that's going on between Saban and his mentor. Any, uh, what stands out to you? Uh, you know, you remember a little bit of, let's, let's put it in context, like 85% of the lifting was done back in December. So you, most teams, if you sign five guys on this, this cycle, that was a lot. So it was a little bit of, you know, filling in little gaps here and there. I thought Tennessee finished with a, with a flourish. They got a five-star offensive tackle. 
went into Northern California, got a really well thought of linebacker. I think those were good additions to a to a solid class that Jeremy Pruitt had put together after a quite a rocky first season. I thought that was noteworthy. I think that when you look at uh, a couple other things, I thought Florida finished nicely today on signing day, especially in the state of Florida. They got a, a kid who who was looking at Alabama and was committed and then flipped there. And I thought that was a solid finish after a good bowls, you know, finish for them. Just looking around, I don't think there was anything that was like, a huge, huge curveball in this, as we we've come to know from one of the signing days or not. You know, maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but the biggest curveball I felt like had nothing to do with signing day, and that was a statement that Southern Miss had released early Wednesday morning regarding Art Bryles. Yeah, that 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 lit up the news, and we're going to get to that whole story in a minute. But just circling back here with signing day, uh, one thing I wanted to note. So you know, as you talked about with Jimbo Fisher, A and M just cleaned up with the top players in the state of Texas, which, you know, when Mac Brown was at Texas, it was the other way around. But Texas on 247, and look, this is completely symbolic. It really doesn't matter which one's ranked third and which one's ranked fourth. But, you know, Texas still managed to finish a spot ahead, mostly by, you know, what they did uh, out of state, in particular out west, to make up for what was going on within the state of Texas. So, you know... Do you look at that as, uh, you know, impressive work by Tom Herman and his staff, or do you, or do you kind of feel a little bit alarmed that apparently A&M has really seized momentum in the Lone Star State? I don't know. It, I guess it depends on your perspective, because California, because USC had such an awful winter, five wins, lots of pressure on Clay Helton mounting, staff, you know, shake up. You had Oregon, who had a top five or top, top six class, depending on which list, did heavy damage there. Washington, which got some more good players out of California today, had nine of the top 50 rated players in the state of California are going up to Seattle. So that was a big thing. So it's not surprising that some other schools went in there, you know, certainly as as uh, as Texas did and, and Arizona State did and a bunch of other places. Because right now, I think when you look at Chip Kelly's in rebuild mode and I think at UCLA and certainly at USC, they got Kyle Ford today, who was a who was a big receiver on the West Coast who's been hurt, but he was committed there for a while. The other big receiver who's committed to USC, Puka Nakua, a lot of people think is the is the best receiver on the West Coast. He, I hear, you know, he didn't sign today. He may may not sign till Thursday or maybe even Friday. I mean, it could come down to Oregon or Washington. I'm not sure if, if USC is still in the picture on that. So I think this is really speaks more. I know you said about Texas versus Texas M. I think it actually really speaks more about about USC right now. Well, I mean, this has been a historically bad recruiting year for USC, but I don't think that should come as any surprise when the head coach was on the hot seat, you know, the entire year. And changed over half the staff, and then the guy, the big star offensive coordinator, ends up leaving for the NFL. You know, it would have been frankly surprising to me if they had had their usual racking up a bunch of highly rated guys at the at the last second. But here's one under the radar that stood out to me: Mike Loxley, Maryland hires him to, in part, in large part, because of his recruiting prowess, and he immediately brings in a four-star quarterback who. Uh, that's the one Florida State wanted. That's the guy Florida State wanted. He picked Maryland instead. Yeah, I, look, I'm, I don't think we're surprised Mike Loxley's going to recruit well. I think there's big challenges him to to kind of lock up, 
the home DMV area. You look at, at Ohio State, they've gotten a lot of really good players from there of late, especially with the Larry Johnson connection because he's recruited there well, not just Dwayne Haskins, Chase Young. I mean, there's there's some key guys who are from that area. That's where he's got he's to really hit the ground running, and I think he will. But as you said, that was a – that was a big get for them. It's still one of these situations where you're curious to see, okay, how this guy had a huge reputation as a recruiter. What's it going to be like going forward? Because I think one of the things that was a challenge for him was sorting out the, the coaching staff around him just because he got a late start. I mean, he was still the head coach at Maryland, but he was busy with the Alabama national title run into just about mid, mid-January. Stu, let's, uh, let's get into, you know, we talked about signing. I think we should get into the Southern Miss Art Ryle story, because it is pretty interesting the way it just bubbled up uh, starting on Monday. I'll set it up if people hadn't followed it. The Hattiesburg American had reported that Art Riles had interviewed for the offense coordinator job. And then the reporter who had, who had had that story, Patrick McGee, had gone on Paul Feinbaum's show and said he thought there was a chance, a good chance in 24 hours that that hire could be made. And, you know, to, to use this word polarizing, I think, it doesn't even do it justice. I, I think that's too mild a way to put it. Art Ryle's reputation is a lot more than just polarizing. And when his name came out like that, getting a what seemed to be an offensive coordinator job not in the not-too-distant future, I think a lot of people really recoiled at that. Your reaction when you first saw that online? Not surprised. I feel like we go through this every year. First, it was a CFL team that wanted to hire him. You know, there's, there's been a series of these, but... You know, I said at the time that he was fired from Baylor, and as the details really emerged, he's never going to work on a college campus again because no president is going to agree to it because there's a report, there's the Pepper Hamilton report that flat out said, you know, and I think referred to him, referred to it as the staff, not necessarily Bryle specifically, but the staff put the campus in danger by recruiting all these guys who ended up committing sexual assaults. There were gang rapes, and so it's infuriating that a school would even consider this. And then, so the end of the story is on Wednesday, on, during signing day, it comes out that basically Hobson had hired him or wanted to hire him. Jay Hobson is the head coach of Southern Miss, had wanted to hire him, but the president overruled him. And in a move you don't usually see, Jay Hobson calls him out on Twitter, his own boss. And I'm just gonna read this statement. It was given to Brett McMurphy Let's read it and then peer, and then we can recap it because it kind of boggles the mind. Jay Hobson, Southern Mrs. Coach. Although I respect the decision of Dr. Rodney Bennett, I disagree with it. I am so grateful for the grace and forgiveness God gives me, which allows me to inherit his kingdom, which I do not deserve. I have interviewed Art Bryles for an assistant position at Southern Miss, and I believe he is a man who deserves a second chance. He is a man that seems sincere and humble in his interview, and personally, he committed no crime. Oof, I wince at that one. He may not have acted in the proper protocol, but that would be my job, job all capitals, at Southern Miss. He was interviewing for an assistant position, even though I believe he will be a head coach at a major program in the near future. However, I believe he is a man who does love the Lord and deserves a second chance. He has been banned from employment college football for three years and has been punished. I understand both sides have opinions. This is just mine. God bless. Jay Hobson. Boy, if, you, if this was the first you'd ever heard of Art Bryles or the Baylor scandal, who would you think was the victim in it? Well, it's the whole part about being banned and being out for three years. And, and, and look, you know, this is a very emotional story tied to it. I think, you know, you go in like three different directions on this topic. 
in your head. And, and, and for me, a couple of things jumped out at me. First of all, this is, this feels connected to some degree to something Dennis Dodd at CBS had, had had in a story where he referenced Ian McCaw, who's the disgraced former Baylor AD who has now got hired at Liberty saying that he thought Art Browse would be largely exonerated. Just a couple of things with that. So, so first of all, the question is the second chances issue. And like, I don't think everybody deserves a second chance. If what you've done, and this is, this isn't just a football thing, but if, if what you've done is so disgraceful, no, I don't think you, I don't think everybody deserves a second chance. I'm not, that's how I just, I, I think, uh, maybe I would have thought differently when I'm 30. Maybe I'll think differently when I'm 60, but this is how I think now, because to me, what, what Art Browse was fired for, and let's keep this in mind, because I feel like some of this stuff gets relitigated over time. And if you put it in this context, Art Browse is the most successful, by far, head coach Baylor had ever had. He had that program, on. he was on top of his game. It wasn't like they were backsliding. The billionaire, who's their biggest booster, had just built him basically a stadium. That guy was still in Art Browse's corner, and yet somehow... They decided they had this investigation where they had these very accredited investigators go through this process for a long time. And they came out of that and they fired him and they fired the AD. I, I don't see the scapegoating part, how that matches up. You, you're, not, you're not scapegoating a coach who went five and six. I just think if, if the biggest booster there and everybody else is in position – that's not the guy. They're finding a way to keep him, not finding a way to run him out of out of a job. Is that? I mean, is, does that line up with where you remember it, or am I, or is revisionist history coming in now? Well, the revisionist history is coming from Art Bryles' camp, you know, and there's definitely some people that seem to be spinning hard on his behalf through the media, trying to rewrite what happened. The idea, and and Ian McCaw himself, you know, he all these people have been deposed in various lawsuits, Title IX lawsuits. And I remember Ian McCaw at one point claimed he was scapegoated and um, that the board was just, you know, trying to cover up the fact that uh, that there were larger Title IX and sexual assault issues at that campus and trying to blame it all on football. Well, there were larger issues. There's no question uh, there were uh, Baylor as a university at its highest levels was either oblivious or flat out ignorant of or, or maybe even disregarding of you know, the proper way to uh, adjudicate cases of students, you know, saying they were sexually assaulted, uh, whether they're football players or not. That happened. But you know what also happened? An extremely large number of players who Art Bryles personally recruited and brought onto that campus were accused of, and in some cases convicted of, sexual assault. There were gang rapes reported. These are guys who he, whose character he either vouched for or overlooked or whatever. So... You know, when people say he deserves a second chance, I don't necessarily think he should be, you know, blackballed from football entirely. This is very specific to a college job where you are back on a college campus recruiting young athletes, uh, mentoring young athletes. That's where I draw the line, and that's where I think the president of Southern Miss drew the line. If if somebody wanted to go hire Art Bryles as their quarterback coach in the NFL, you know, they'd probably take some backlash for it, but that issue of campus safety is not something you're dealing with in the NFL. Hey, by the way, if, if Ian McCaw was so much in so much of a believer in our Bryles, how come he didn't just hire him? Like, I, I think Hugh Freeze will win games there. 
And I don't think what Hugh Freeze did and to get fired was anywhere near as as egregious as what Art Bryles got fired for. But if Ian McCaw is there and he knows that, how come Ian McCaw didn't just go out and hire him? I guess maybe there's some sort of bar. There is an actual bar at Liberty that they actually won't cross, although it seems right now that, that there isn't. In fact, you know, Jay Hobson has put himself on the hot seat, you know, already with his team's performances on the field. I can't imagine calling out your boss helps. Will Jay Hobson be Hugh Freeze's defensive coordinator at Liberty next season? That just seems like that's, that's the new um, rehab spot for some of these coaches. Speaking of which, look, I, I can't say I know much about Jay Hobson, the Southern Miss coach. I've never covered him. So this is some of my first exposure to it. But that statement... We've talked about this in various, in various different ways over the years, the bubble that football coaches live in. That, that statement read to me like somebody who didn't, hasn't read anything about the Baylor scandal or maybe chose to hear what he wanted to hear about the Baylor scandal and basically just took Art Bryles' version of events at, at face value and knows that this guy would really help his offense and he's going to do it. There's just like a di- complete disconnect from, from you know, the outside world. I, th- I think what it feels like is there's more of a disconnect from what's gone on in the last five years. Like that felt like Jay Hobson's 50. It felt like Jay Hobson is viewing things like from 20 years ago. And I don't think he's alone. You know, I think we keep saying, oh, when, when, are, when are people going to get the message? Times have changed. Penn State should have been something mm-hmm. that, that, you know, sent shockwaves through college football and college athletics. Baylor should have sent those shockwaves through college athletics. And uh, the Urban Meyer situation with uh, Zach Smith. And then you see something like this, and it's like, nope, still the guy can has great offenses and can help us get a few more wins, then we're going to do it. I wonder this, you know, because I saw that statement pretty much the same time you did, and you read it, and you read it on Twitter. If Jay Hobson says that at his signing day press conference, I'm not sure the reaction is going to be the same as it if it is when people sit there and read that and go, wait, he sat down and wrote this and just and, and I'm not defending him, but I just think it's a it's a very big misread of the situation. And I think that's what's what some of that is rooted in. I mean, yeah. And on the one hand, you'd say, oh, he said it kind of off the cuff at a press conference. On the other hand. He's probably lucky he didn't do it at a press conference. That means there's no video of it. You know, if there was video of him saying that. Uh, I don't think it's any difference, Stu. I don't think video of him is making PTI or. I, you I mean, sure? To me, I mean, I, look, I, I don't know what the other topics in sports are on this given day, but you, you don't think uh, PTI or highly questionable or somebody would run that soundbite and then have a panel discussion about it? I don't think so, because I don't think any of them know who Jay Hobson is. They know who Art Bryles is. They do, but I just don't think... I mean, video of somebody sitting in front of a podium, I'm not sure... I mean, I could be wrong, you know, but it's like you could... I mean, you could just as easily run run the uh, the quote in a quote box and have people talk about it. I just don't think video for that changes it that much. And again, I could be totally wrong on that, but that's my, you know, my feeling on it. Fair enough. All right, one more story we wanted to get to, Bruce. Uh, an emerging story that uh, will become official maybe by the time you listen to this. Bob Stoops is getting back into coaching. Not a college football coach, not an NFL head coach, but believe it or not, an XFL head coach and GM for the Dallas franchise. 
that will be kicking off with the rest of that league next season. Shocked? Next year, I should say, since we don't, you don't even necessarily know when the XFL season is. I'm not shocked for this reason. Uh, well, I'm not shocked. I mean, if he, if he had, you know, turned around and become a college head coach again, I, I wouldn't necessarily be shocked just because I think these guys always have that itch. Now, he did seem pretty set on not coming back. But, you know, this, so we've got all these upstart professional leagues now. The, the XFL is not till next year, but the AAF, right? American Alliance of Football. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually kicks off this weekend with some pretty familiar people on the sideline. Rick Neuheisel, Mike Riley, and... Steve Spurrier. Steve Spurrier is the one I was going to mention. Steve Spurrier is Bob Stoops' mentor, obviously. Um, there was a good story on him by Will Salmon on our site. Uh, went to San Antonio where all the teams were training to catch up with Spurrier. And he spoke very highly of the experience. And I'm thinking Bob Stoops probably connected with him. And Spurrier probably sold him on, hey, you're going you're gonna to really enjoy this. Well, I mean, again, I think it's different in, in coaching in one of these leagues as opposed to being the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys and the responsibility that comes with it. Well, these schools uh, have, these teams, I'm sorry, have no fans yet. So I can't imagine there's a lot of pressure. Well, I just think it's also everything that's involved with, with that kind of organization and how long it lasts. Now, we'll find out a lot more tomorrow. Oliver Luck is the head of this organization, and this is a big get for them. I mean, because a lot of the other coaches, I don't want to call them retreads because that's not the right word, but there's a lot of other coaches who are like, for the most part, on the other side of their of their their glory days. Well, they're right? out there. Been, they've been fired. You know, they're, they're available because they weren't wanted uh, anymore. Uh, whereas Bob Stoops went out on his own terms and frankly went out, you know, still winning a lot of football games. Yeah. So I'm curious to, I'm curious to hear his reasoning. Uh, the one thing I told somebody, this started getting at least got on my radar earlier to this morning and I didn't really believe it because the coach who told me about it, my reaction was, man, Bob Stoops seems about as happy as any retired coach who's ever walked away on top or close to on top has ever seemed. But He's, you know, he, by his own admission, he's back. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, just as somebody who loves football and hates this time of year when the games go away, I'll watch some AAF and I'll definitely watch some XFL. And, you know, it's just it's uh, it's interesting because I did not see this coming. I really didn't. I was skeptical. Yeah. Whenever I've seen Bob Stoops, he seemed to be in, he seemed to be about as happy as could be. You're right about that. You know, and, and we've actually seen him quite a bit because he's still hanging around Oklahoma. Maybe the, maybe this is where Urban Meyer will end up next year, head coach in the XFL, because he's also very friendly with Bob Stoops. Uh, you're right about that, but I also wonder, I wonder what it has been like, and maybe he'll comment on this, watching the program that he built uh, continue to win, and in fact, you know, even take it a step further under Lincoln Riley, you know, to, to be at those playoff games, to be at the Rose Bowl, and just, you know, have no say in the, in the, in the outcome. I just think... Coaches are just, they want to coach. When Bob Stoops did retire, obviously it was, you mentioned his father a lot, right? As, as you know, kind of the cautionary tale. You know, you don't want to do this job forever uh, for the sake of your health. Um, but like you said earlier, I just, this just is not, there's no, you don't have to recruit. Don't, uh, I, don't I don't even know how long the XFL season is, how many games it's going to be. But I just got to think it's just a much lower pressure job than, the head coach of Oklahoma, the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, and frankly, maybe even like the head coach of a big Texas high school football power. 
Uh, I don't know if I would make that analogy because I'm sure there's a ton of pressure on those guys in their own in their own high school orbit. No, no, but... no. I'm saying that being a head coach in the XFL is probably lower stakes than head coach of Allen High School. Yeah, I would think it would be at least. Uh, but you know, again, it's such it's such an infancy stage of how this thing is. It's who's to say what it becomes. There's, I don't know if it helps or hurts each other that there's now. I believe three of these leagues trying to start up. So, you know, and, and look, the one that's kicking off this weekend, like they have recognizable, isn't Christian Hackenberg a quarterback for one of the teams? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's not, you know, complete, you know, it's guys that are not, in some cases, not that far removed from, from being college football stars, right? So they're still, you know, they're, they're still fresh in people's minds. So I think that helps them. Don Yee, Tom Brady's agent, is spearheading this other one that, his name has the word pro in it, but escapes me otherwise. And he made some headlines last week by indicating that, you know, their approach is going to be to try to get a Trevor Lawrence who can't enter the NFL draft yet to, to sign a big contract with them. So Yeah, with that one, I, I know somebody who's kind of connected to that league. And there's been talk for a while about it being an alternative for guys who maybe aren't just college students. Now, I'm not saying that's Trevor Lawrence, but that was one of the things was guys who might be junior college guys. That was some of the blueprint of that. I don't buy that because, you know, look at basketball. You know, they do have a minor league system where if you didn't want to go do the one and done thing. But basketball is different, Stu. You can leave. You you can leave after one year. You can't do that in the NFL. True. But you can go play. You can go play in Europe in basketball. You can't do that in college football. Well, I, I guess I guess what I'm saying is. Okay, if they could somehow convince Trevor Lawrence to come out after his sophomore year at Clemson and play a year in this league, obviously that would be a huge boon for that league. Maybe others would follow it. I don't think it's realistic, though. So realistically, you're talking about guys who maybe recruiting diehards know about, but otherwise will have no real marketability yet. And yeah, they may be really good players, but nobody's heard of them yet. So I'm not sure that's going to be drawing eyeballs. Fair enough. All right, Stu. No, uh... What's the name of the uh, the email address for us? Well, I was actually hoping you could provide that. Uh, I'm ready. It's the audible the audiblepod at gmail.com. Congratulations, my friend. You got that one out correctly for the first time in the four and a half year history of the audible. Uh, we don't have our time today to get to them, but uh, we will absolutely get to it next week. So please send us your emails to the audiblepod at gmail.com. Just want to apologize for the sounds you heard in the background from my side this week. Seems like we're always cursed with some sort of sound quality issue, but uh, kitchen renovation going on downstairs can't really ignore that sound entirely. We'll see you guys next time. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to The Audible on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review while you're at it. It helps get the word out. Thanks to Trader Joe's for being our presenting sponsor. Our producer is Nick Fink. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. You can download their music on iTunes and Spotify. Follow me, Stu, at SL Mandel on Twitter and Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB. And subscribe to The Athletic if you haven't done so already. You can try it for free, seven-day free trial at theathletic.com slash free trial. So come on, get over.